Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I am here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. It's a good day out there. I was, unlike you, I, as the trade deadline was going on and you took the, um, you took first dibs on this story on um, Kulak trade. I went, I went out for my exercise then. You're still waiting to get out. So, so it's, it's always a good day when you can get out, get outside and do some exercises is what I say. Yeah. Yeah. Ken Holland rewarded me by putting off his 3 p.m. presser until 4 p.m. So I guess I'll be going out after that now. Oh, well. There's enough time in there between that and the start of the game that uh, I even have time for a bite to eat if Kenny doesn't go on for too long. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how he describes uh, Broussard's game. So the owners made a couple trades, Bruce. They traded for um, Kulak. It's not Stu Kulak. What's his first Brett, name? I think. Brett Kulak. Brett Kulak. Stu Kulak mm-hmm. was a player in the 80s, right? Played for the Canucks yeah. from the Edmonton area as well. Yes. And Brett Kulak, I wonder if they're related. Anyway, he's a defenseman from Montreal. The Oilers traded um, a second-round draft pick, William Logason, and um, there may be some salary retained. I don't know if that's confirmed yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also traded a fourth-round pick, um, for uh, Derek Broussard of the Philadelphia Flyers. This is Derek Broussard's 10th NHL team. Uh, Bruce, we'll just go, we'll just straight ahead. What's your take on the first trade, on the Kulak trade? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Stu Kulak, I I, I was right. He played for the Oilers briefly in 1986-87 and was oh. traded as part of the Rejo Rutsalainen deal. Mm. So... Brett Kulak is uh, from these parts. Uh, some sources say he's from Stony Plain, some from Edmonton. He played minor hockey in uh, St. Albert, which is relevant in the sense that uh, at the end of the year when his contract expires as a, a local fellow coming home to play, he may be somewhat more inclined to sign with the team. But for now, the deal is for uh, what he can bring for the rest of the 21-22 campaign. And what he brings is um, uh, some stuff the orders need, you know, like you look at their at their back end and they've been running with all these young left shot defensemen, but they've kind of been faltering in this last little while. Chris Russell came on the last two games and I thought he played pretty good. Uh, but I still think uh, 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 an experienced left shot D-man uh, on the third pairing that has the potential even to play up the lineup a little bit is... Uh, is not a bad ad. He's, uh, well, it's right out of the Ken Holland playbook on the trade deadline. The first thing you do is you go out and get a veteran defenseman. Then you look around and see what, what else is there. And it's three out of three years that he's done that in Edmonton, his first trade. This guy, as veterans go, he's a young veteran, a mere 28 years of age and only 316 NHL uh, games on his resume. Uh, but, you know, he's been around the block. He's played in parts of the last eight seasons in the NHL. And this year he played, uh, he bumped up the lineup a little bit in Montreal just because of the injuries. They didn't have, of course, Shea Weber all year. They didn't have uh, Joel Edmondson for all but four games that he played. And so Kulak's been kind of the, on the cusp between a four and a five in Montreal, playing about uh, 17 minutes a night at even strength, 
his most common partner is Jeff Petrie, which says top four for sure on that team. Uh, but he has he has moved up and down. He's mostly an even strength player. He's uh, uh, from my recollection of watching the guy, a pretty good skater and and mover of the puck, and doesn't mind jumping into the play a little bit. And uh, he uh, uh, he's um, just out right out of the Holland playbook, like I said, to uh, to to bring a little bit more depth on the on the back end. So the first time they did it, Mike Green, that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Second time, Dmitry Kulikov. The price was pretty low for Kulikov, a fourth-round pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bruce, the first thought that went through my head when this happened was kind of a knee-jerk reaction, like, what the hell? A second-round mm-hmm. pick for Kulak? He's the third-pairing defenseman, essentially. Kulikov was a, was the second-pairing defenseman, and they got a, you know, they're kind of similar players maybe in some ways. I don't know. Like I haven't watched Kulak's game, so I, I can't say any, I can't speak to his value as a player. I just don't know. Maybe, you know, and he, he played in 13 Stanley cup playoff games last spring. That's, that's it to his credit. You know, that's um, if you're, if you're a terrible player and you're playing in 13 playoff games, that's going to have a detrimental impact in your team. They're just not going to use you or, or they're not going to succeed. Montreal had some success last year with Kulak in the lineup, so that th- th- there's something there. But again, I haven't put in the hours and hours that I believe personally that it takes to to fairly rate right. an NHL player. So I I'm not going to speak to his value. I'm just noting that he, you know, Edmondson and Weber went out. That's the reason he's seen as a second pairing defenseman this year in Montreal is that there was some major injuries and he got bumped up the lineup. He's kind of like, you know, fourth fifth defenseman now. So he may be, you know, I, I didn't know what to think of Cody Cece. And Cody right. Cece has turned out to be the Oilers' best defenseman, I think, so far this year. I think. That's my argument. Their best defenseman. And uh, maybe Kulak will similarly surprise me and, and, and impress. And the other thing I like about this, Bruce, is the Oilers, I think they did need some more veteran depth um, in case mm-hmm. of injury during the playoffs. We have seen... Nima Linen, and Russell, and, and Broberry um, in that third pairing role, and Slater Cuckoo this year. And it's been a little bit, I mean, I've really liked what I've seen from Bo- Broberry now and then, but other than that, it's, and I've liked Russell in the last two games. And I think Ru- Chris Russell shouldn't be counted out, and he's going to compete with Kulak for playing time, just like he did with, with Kulakov. Um, but it didn't work out great with these mm-hmm. other players and you never know when Keith is going to get hurt. You never know when nurse is going to get hurt. They've both been hurt this year. You never know when any defenseman is going to get hurt. So I like the fact they're bringing in a, another player. I just am really, I'm honestly really skeptical of the price they, they paid and um, a second round draft pick. You know, it's not when you look at a Brad McPherson's chart of draft pick value, a second round draft pick doesn't have major value in the big scheme of things on average in general but every now and then it really does right every now and then it's not yeah. it's not Mitch Moraz and David Musil every now and then it's Ryan McLeod and you can get something there that you're not going to get a little later in the draft so in terms of the value if the first overall pick in the draft Bruce has a, a value of 100 mm-hmm. on average every year that's how he mm-hmm. rates his system, so you can comprehend what the value of the other picks are, are rated. Right. Okay. The the if you draft twentieth overall, mm-hmm. that that value is fourteen compared to one hundred. Mm-hmm. 
So it's, you know, it's 14. <laughs> it's quite a bit less than 100. On a, a, a third, a th um, if you're drafting in the middle of the second round, which is where this pick for Kulak is likely to be, that's a third of that 20th overall pick's value. Its value is 4.5 or 4.4. You know, so the first overall pick again is valued at 100. This pick, the second round pick, doesn't seem a lot from first round pick to second round pick, but it's actually, in terms of its value, it's dramatically less valuable than the first overall pick. It's dramatically less valuable than a than a late first round pick, is the truth as well. So it's not these picks in in some ways can be overrated, but every time you have one of these picks, it's a chance. It's it, it also works out to one more opportunity to get a really good player. And I don't know if that's factored into when you average it out, when you do an average of it, if that's factored in that you can actually get Duncan Keith or Shea Weber in the second round, that's, that happens, right? It did so happen. now the fourth round pick for Derek Broussard, on the other hand, is, is a value of one point something like it's, but again, you could, the owners have taken Matt V. Petrov and Carter Savoy, I believe in the fourth round in recent years. If if Petrov was not taken later, Petrov than that. went in the sixth round, and and Savoy did go in the fourth. Uh, so Savoy went in the fourth. Yeah. So sometimes, and we don't know if these players will turn out. They may not. But you know, they're they're trending very well. And so is Tyler Tulio, right? Like another, he was taken in the fourth round, I believe. Fifth so. round. Yeah. Fifth round. So I'm kind of, I I wish it had been a lower price that they paid for, um, for Kulak, and I and I note. Um, so it's hard to compare to other teams because every trade is, is intricate. They're often involving other pieces, but you know, second, a second round pick, I guess the best direct comparison, Bruce is Jeremy Lazan who went Seattle traded him. I'm not sure who they traded, but they got a second back. Was that Boston or say, who did they trade him to? Jeremy Lazan was traded from Seattle for a second pick. There were second round picks involved in trades, you know, for Marc-Andre Fleury. Mm -hmm. his, his starts out as a second pick and can go to a first if there's playoff right. success. Now, that would have been worth a second-round pick, I think, if you could have persuaded Fleury to come here um, under those circumstances. Um, Josh Manson went to Colorado from Anaheim for a second-round pick and a, Drew Hellison, a prospect who was taken in the second round and seems to be holding that second-round value, I'll suggest. I mean, just, just yeah. from a look at his stats. So two second-round picks for Josh Manson. Would you rather, I don't know, I, I, I guess I have a better impression of Josh Manson, but again, I haven't watched him that closely this, this year either. I can't say maybe Josh Manson's game's dropped enough where he's just that much, he's not much better of a, of a player than Kulak. Like he's just one more second pick better than Kulak in terms of his acquisition cost and his value. Maybe that's fair. Yeah, injuries, the concern with uh, Josh uh, Manson. With Manson in recent, in recent times. But yeah, it just seemed to me uh, all the prices were fairly high in terms of draft picks like right throughout this this process that there was surprisingly high i mean you could have got justin brown for example for a third round pick but he's like 34 or 35 years old now that's a, frankly i'm surprised that that wasn't the way holland went but because uh, that's really his mo is to tr make a trade for a 35 year old defenseman not on the deadline but um yeah, that, that, the orders keep paying this price over and over and over again in trades. They're always dealing future draft picks. They're never getting any back. Like, uh, 
And so they're always dealing from a shortfall. The last time the Oilers had seven picks in a draft, which is have seven rounds, was 2017. And they've been they've been too short. I think each of the last three years they only had five. Uh, now this year, depending on how the conditional pick goes, and this was a complicated trade for uh, uh, for Kulak. Uh, it was a second round pick this year. Uh, unless the Oilers make the Stanley Cup Finals, in which case they owe the same second-round pick to Chicago. It's a condition on the Duncan Keith trade. And if that happens, then it becomes a second-round pick in 2023 that they have to owe the Habs. Uh, the Oilers also sent William Laguson to Montreal in this trade. And Montreal, for their part, retained half of the $1.85 million cap hit on Kulak, just so the orders could just squeeze them in underneath. So they're paying an extra premium, of course, for that uh, to uh, to yes, get Montreal to eat, to eat salary. Uh, but assuming the orders don't make the Stanley Cup finals, uh, then this year they'll owe their second round pick to uh, uh, to Montreal for Kulak, their third round pick to Chicago for um, for Keith. And their fourth round pick to New Jersey for Kulikov. That's last year's trade. And they're constantly dealing at a deficit in, in terms of they have to trade next year's picks because this year's they already traded away last year. And we've seen this with Holland. I mean, he traded a, a 2020 and a 2021 second to get Andreas Athanasiu and a deal that really bit him on the butt. Uh, he traded a 2021 fifth to get... Uh, uh, Tyler Ennis in 2020. Then he get, dealt a 2022 fourth to get Kulikov in 2021. And now he's dealing into 2023, uh, possibly in the uh, Kulak deal and definitely in the uh, Derek Broussard deal because he didn't have a fourth this year because he dealt that last year. So now he's dealing next year's fourth. So it looks like the orders could go as many as six or well, they could go a hundred straight years without a full complement of draft picks the way they're going. Cause they're always dealing from, from their future draft well, picks because they haven't had any success or anywhere near enough success in the past, actually using the draft picks to get players that can fill the depth roles for them. They're always trying to fill from outside. It speaks to this summer signing of Slater Cuckoo, right? they decided to sign him to a two-year deal and mm -hmm. i liked the signing at the time um mm -hmm. i thought cuckoo had a good year the previous year but his game kind of fell apart this year he got injured again mm -hmm. and um he's on leave now i guess he was sent to the hl noise i think he's on a leave mm -hmm. so i'm not sure what's going on there i hope things are well with him but he didn't you know in terms of his performance for the oilers this year it didn't work out if it had worked out they wouldn't be making this trade today he was the guy in this role and then they tried all these other players. And, you know, to give the orders credit, they're a lot closer to having the depth players that are coming close. And, 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 you know, you could one way to look at this trade, Bruce, is they traded William Loggison today and a second pick for William Loggison two years from now, essentially, in Kulak. You look at their careers, William Loggison's numbers and his career path is very similar to Kulak's. So we'll, we'll see if that's the case, if William Loggison pans out like that so it was a failure in the in the and not finding a better alternate defenseman than Slater Cuckoo this summer 
could they have gone back to Kulikov, for instance? Was that open to them? How much would have that cost? You know, I, what did he? I think he signed for two million. Two, a year. two years at about two million, just over two yeah. million. Yeah, so a little bit price, quite a bit pricier than Cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have, you know, the depth bubbling up though. Nima Linen is close. He looks close. Broberry's on the team next year. I mean, some people are saying, well, you know, maybe they'll sign Kulak next year, and of course that's a possibility, but really. You've got Keith next year and Nurse next year for sure. Philip Broberry's got to play next year. And yeah. I guess he could play on the right side. So if Kulak shines, he could get a get another contract, kind of take Chris Russell's spot in that 6-7 man role. Um, so, yeah. And I guess Chris Russell's been hurt so much, it's hard to know what they have. I mean, he has played well. But can you count on him being healthy through a playoff series and... You do need more depth. So I understand the need to make a trade for a veteran defenseman. Again, just the price was a little higher. Let's move on, Bruce, to the Broussard trade. What did you think? They they traded this fourth-round pick for for Derek Broussard. I have to say I like the trade until I saw Mark Spector ran. Um, <laughs> and again, I don't know. haven't watched Broussard. I can't say what he's like. In his, you know, he was obviously a good NHL player before, but he's 34 now. And um, Mark Spector published... Uh, some quotes from some scouting service, which talked about Broussard's last 10 games. And essentially what they're saying is he's, he's, he's an offensive minded hockey player and uh, his play, he, he, when he's on, when he's attacking and having some success there, he can still be a good player, but his defensive play leaves you wanting his play off the puck. is not great. And it just reminded me, like we just got rid of Kyle Turris. We don't need another center who can't cover the slot, the defensive slot. Brad, Brad Malone can, by the way. You yeah. have Brad Malone. <laughs> so so um, I'm not exactly sure why they needed this player. They just got rid of Turris. He mm-hmm. seems like the same player in a lot of ways. Maybe he's a bit better on the tack still than Turris was. But, uh, um, I mean, they have Derek Ryan as a depth center. They got Ryan McLeod. So I'm not sure I get it, but... It's it's not that high a price, so I'm not. I don't have any hair to lose, but I'm not losing any more of the hair that I don't have. Well, on the bright side, the Oilers didn't trade Mika Zibanejad in a second round pick for him the way Ottawa did in 2016, one of the worst trades of the 21st century. <laughs> uh, so there's that. They were in uh, on a few Ottawa ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they were thinking that day. Uh, anyway. Um, he has played, the Oilers will be his 10th, 10th NHL team. He's wanted, Bruce. He is yeah, very yeah, yeah, he's a highly desirable commodity, obviously, or else he wears out his welcome quickly. And he's gone from 309 games with Columbus, his first team, to 254 with New York, his second, to 139 with Ottawa, his third, uh, to... Uh, 54, 20, 10, 66, 53, 31 with his last six NHL teams. He didn't last so much as a full season in any one of those places. So not sure what that tells us other than obviously people want him. He does things that they like. And maybe when they see him up close and personal, they find out they don't like him all that much. And on he goes to the next. Well, if centers who don't cover the defensive slot quickly wear out their welcome. You know, that's that's what I find. And so if if that's who if that's his game, this is a mistake. You can't have that in the playoffs. And the, this has been plaguing the Oilers forever. So they 
they, you know, you can make an argument, Bruce, that the signing of Kyle Turris cost Dave Tippett his job as much as anything. Not filling that key role at third line center with such a key acquisition and having that gaping hole there last year and, and uh, you know, somewhat solved this year, but all last year and the start of this year, big problem for Dave Tippett along with the goaltending, of course. But um, anyway, Broussard isn't being asked to be the third line center. He's being asked to be a fourth line role player. Presumably. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, if Nuge is not back, uh, we'll see what, where Broussard stacks up in the lineup tomorrow night versus uh, Devin Shore and Ryan McLeod. Uh, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I read some reports that he's a strong defensive player. In fact, the defense first player. And yet I look at his stats and he's got 200 goals, uh, 519 points over 936 NHL games. That's pretty decent uh, production. And he's even still scoring a half a point a game this year. Yeah. Age 34 in Philly, 16 points in 31 games. And not quite sure why he's only played that number of games, but uh, uh, and a plus player in Philly this year, which is no mean feat. Of course, that's always subject to uh, uh, a certain amount of randomness, but uh, uh, he's decent on the face-off dot. He's been over 50% the last uh, last few years, uh, 51.3 this year, but at least holds his own left shot. Uh, centerman, uh, not a big player, uh, not a particularly... Uh, a uh, tough player. He's got 10 penalty minutes this year. Uh, 6'1", 202, so, you know, I guess average in, in size. Uh, certainly uber experienced. And uh, now the Oilers have him and Derek Ryan, uh, who also was originally brought in for that position, even as Ryan had switched over to the right side. So more experience, fewer draft choices. It's... Uh, other deadline day for uh, Ken Holland. There's lots of examples of Oilers centers brought in who haven't worked out in recent years. Forever. Eric Belanger, Ryan Spooner, Boyd Gordon, Cal Turris, Will Acton, Jared Smithson, Cal Brodziak, Colin Fraser, David DeHarney. Maybe DeHarney worked out if you want to put a lot of weight on that one overtime goal. But one of them who did, Bruce, was Derek Roy, mm-hmm. um, who I thought was good in a short time here. And maybe, maybe Broussard will be kind of like that. Now, Roy was used up the lineup because the orders were so weak at that time at center. But um, he had some wheels and he still had some game. Maybe Broussard will be like that. So I'm hoping that. Like, that's that's the, I think that would be the best possible outcome, that he's kind of like a Derek Roy kind of player. And um, maybe he will be. So again, not having done the work to to fully assess this player, I, I'm going to try not to be too negative. And certainly not. I'm not going to be too positive, but just kind of right. we'll see what happens next. It, it didn't. It when it wasn't a terrible price, even if this one doesn't pan out. Mm. That's I. You know, I wish it would have been a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick, but there's not a whole lot of difference between a fourth, fifth, and sixth round pick in terms of their value. It's just minimal. So. Yeah. Well, the other one that I would argue was a success in the position was Ryan Strom. Of course, uh, Shirelli gave him away for uh, Ryan Spooner in one of the worst Oilers trades of the 21st century. Uh, yep. But that was, uh, 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 Strom was in the minority of three C's that could actually hold their own on this team. Uh, anyway, uh, as you say, Broussard's probably more expected to be a 4C or will be once Nuge gets back, unless they decide they've got such depth at center now they can afford to stack 
Leon and Connor back together, but I don't think we'll be seeing that as a no. as an ongoing thing anymore. But I think Woodcroft's yeah. got, a, got a good handle on on that, putting them together in special occasions and have them driving separate lines most of the time. Bruce, is it fair to say, like, let's say we don't, let's admit, like I'm going to admit, I don't know much about these players, but at mm-hmm. the same time, it feels both of these trades at this moment today feel like a bit of an overpay to me in in both cases and and the and and it, and it combines adds with a feeling like we've now had two gms in a row who kind of consistently overpay a little bit on trades and in shirelli and holland and, and we can go back further maybe you'd have to look at that more closely but it really felt like shirelli and did that constantly and now it's feeling like holland does that so i'm just wondering is that just bs that every fan base feels like it's critical of its gm and judges its gm too harshly or is this in fact a a trend in edmonton is this real and i don't know if you can answer that i I don't have an answer for that because it could be either but that's how it feels like to me does it feel like that to you well it would feel better if we had a little more track record of trading for a guy who comes in and actually helps you know, I mean, Athanasiu and, and Green and Ennis didn't make much difference in 2020. And Kulikov, uh, who I actually liked that trade, and I still would defend that trade for a fourth, uh, for a top four D-man. But he wound up getting healthy scratched in the elimination game of the playoffs. So something went sideways. And, of course, the Oilers have had very little playoff success to uh, uh, uh to pin to the resume in the you know, last 15 years, really. I mean, David DeHarnay scored a pick goal in the only series Edmonton has won since 2006. So maybe you can say that trade was a win uh, just for that. But it was, uh, yeah. uh, it's, there. I mean, you look around the league and you see all these powerhouse teams bringing in like real uh Fine players, the top names on the list who were available going to Florida, Colorado, Tampa Bay, New York Rangers, you know, all the teams up. Did Edmonton improve their team today as much as any of the teams that they're chasing? Not sure that they did. I mean, you know, maybe Vegas that didn't do anything. Sure. Uh, But, uh, you know, the, the gulf between where the orders are in the standings and where the very top contenders are seems larger than ever to me at this moment. Uh, I guess that's a good point you make. Like there was countervailing trades that they clearly won. And Shirley did have that in his back pocket for a while, right? Like mm-hmm. he had the Cam Talbot deal. He had the Maroon trade and the Cassian trade, which looked good and really good initially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there were some, some things that you could, you know, that you could point to and say, well, he has made some good deals. Like, yeah, maybe this isn't going to work out, but there's been some good deals. He, he seemed to get worse as things went along. He maybe got a little more desperate. The the thing I guess you could say about Holland is, and this is what, when I took a look at it last night, if you actually look at their forward group, I mean, how long, Bruce, have we been looking and moaning about the need for top six wingers to play with McDavid and Drysaddle? Not an issue anymore. There's a plethora now of players. There's competition on this Oilers roster real competition for the spots on McDavid and Drysaddle's wings. And they don't need to play them together because they they brought in Hyman and Kane. I mean, Evander Kane, I don't know if there's a better player, a better addition at, you know, post in, in this year, this calendar year than Evander Kane signing in Edmonton. 
So um, that's to Holland's credit. You know, if he's going to get blamed for maybe not being the sharpest in some trades, then he, he has done well there. Derek Ryan is panning out. Like he has become, I think, he's um, met the mark in terms of what I was hoping for, at least. Now mm-hmm. that he's moved to the wing, especially, he's a really solid NHL hockey player and he's getting the job done. Cody Cece is another really strong signing. So there are some countervailing things with um, Holland, uh, including, and then there's Yessa Pugliarvi, him convincing Pugliarvi to come back, which is ab- crucial for the team, not giving up on that player. So there's that that countervails against some of the trade stuff that's gone on. And it, it is it, it is a reason that the Oilers, um, although not making great trades, they've got They've got a fantastic group of NHL forwards, if you ask me. I really like this group of players. Now, the elephant in the room is they didn't get a goalie. Yeah. They did not get a goalie. And there was not... I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury moved along to uh, uh, Minnesota. Yeah. And they moved along their uh, uh, their uh, backup goalie, Finnish guy. Kokkinen. Yeah, to Kakinen, 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 San Jose, and the other goalie of note who moved today was Harry Sateri, the Olympic gold medalist from Finland, who was signed yesterday by Toronto, waived through the NHL in the hopes of activating them onto their roster, who was claimed by Arizona Coyotes, in a in a hostile GM move of the sort we don't expect to see here in Edmonton, but uh, Arizona did it. <laughs> Power to them as far I as like I'm that, concerned. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they're, if they claimed them before. Edmonton wouldn't have had the chance to claim them, but I would have been absolutely shocked to my core if Edmonton had pulled off a move like that. It's just not Holland style. Uh, anyways, um, I'm not sure there's, you know, what's out there that's demonstrably better then especially the way he's been playing Mikko Koskinen. I mean, people like putting down Koskinen. At the same time, you hear people say, if Edmonton had average goalie, they're good good enough to be able to win games. And, you know, Koskinen, if nothing else, is an average goalie at the NHL level. Well, it's funny, Bruce, because people, yeah, people were bringing up Jake Allen. Jake Allen's Mm -hmm. save percentage in the last five years are abysmal. They really are. Like, they're below league average. He had one good year. And otherwise, it's been like 906, 903, 904, 905, and they had the one good year. And and then for a second there, the name uh, John Gibson with Anaheim was mentioned. His save percentage the last three years is like 906, 905, 903. Like, you're going to pay $6 million a year for his reputation, his past, what he was before he got hurt. I think he's been hurt. That's got to be the explanation. I mean... Anthony Stellars is out playing. The, the guy that goes, no one mentions the great Stellars giveaway of the orders. Stellars is, you know, for goalies that play more than 10 games in the NHL, he's in, he's one of the best goalies for save percentage this year in the league. I think he's like near close to 920. Anyway, uh, nobody saw that. But um, I agree, Bruce. Koskinen, Flurry's save percentage this year, I think, is 908, and Koskinen's mm-hmm. is 906. In the last 20, in the last 15 games, Koskinen, I bet you for sure, has outplayed Marc Andre Flurry. So there is that, and there is also the faint hope that Mike Smith will get help, healthy and return to his form of ju- only last year. He was a really good goalie. And then there's also, like, you know, they're talking about bringing in uh, Kokkinen, Kokkinen, whatever his name is. Sorry, Mr. Kokkinen, mm-hmm. Kakkinen. And, but he, he, is he any better than Stuart Skinner? 
I mean, you look at his numbers over time, and and he's a young goalie. He's about the same size as Stuart Skinner. His AHL numbers are the same. He's got a bit more NHL experience, but he's done nothing exceptional in the NHL. So I was thinking, yeah, the names that I was hearing for goalies today, Kakinen and Allen, and to some extent, Flurry, they they weren't thrilling. Right. Lise Varlamov has a 9-13 save percentage this year, but he didn't want to come here apparently, so... Uh, yeah, well, Flurry. I mean, for all that he's, uh, uh, you know, he comes into Minnesota and takes over the number one role from Talbot. If you look at their stats, they're almost indistinguishable. I think Flurry is 908, 295 goals against average, minus 1.2 goals saved above average, and uh, Talbot's 907 with 292 and minus 1.3 goals saved above average. Like I said, they're almost identical. And you can say, well, Flurry played on a on a worse defensive team in Chicago, but the goal saved above average kind of uh, a little bit puts the lie to that. And uh, I mean, we'll see. Chicago did pretty well there to take uh, Flurry for nothing uh, at the beginning of the year, use him for most of the year, and now trade him off for a second round pick that could become a first if uh, if Flurry delivers in the playoffs. And so they got a, a you know. A, a good draft choice out of that uh, connection. Good time to be a seller. Look at the Canadians. Mm. They got a real haul. And I think it's because, partly because, I think it's mainly because they had that Stanley Cup run. So all of those players, Sherrod, mm-hmm. Kulak to some extent, Lakin, and they have that kind of glow about them, right, of Stanley Cup playoff success, which which increases your value in the NHL. It does. Uh, and um, so that helped the Habs get the bounty of picks that they they have gotten at this this. Uh, trade deadline well bruce i guess we can we can leave it there ken holland's going to be on soon any final thoughts or other thoughts yeah yeah just say uh they did nothing with josh archibald uh could they could they trade him to the states though i could even cross the border yeah he's a dual citizen so his uh his, his dad is from saskatchewan and he was born in saskatchewan but uh uh Jonathan Willis pointed out that uh, uh, he played, you know, dad played college hockey in North Dakota and the mom was on the swim team there. And she's obviously an American because Josh is a dual citizen who, in fact, played for the United States at the uh, World Junior Championship when he was that age. And so he would definitely be able to cross the border. Our friend Murdoch Davis had raised some question about that because if, you know, uh, a foreign national unvaccinated would definitely have trouble crossing the border. But that, to me, that was an opportunity for the orders to get back a draft choice. You know, they're always trading them away, trading them away. Let's get some draft choices coming back here that we're not going into the draft with four picks and one pick in the top 100 like it's going to happen this year. And uh, it's, uh, it, it always seems to be a one-way street that uh, our, our players depth players don't have much value on the trade market. I think they could have got something for Archibald and to uh, Bruce, the American team, but you think, happen. I don't think I, you know, what? I don't know what top hundred. I'll have to say that. No, but it's not that. A pick. I don't know if he's tradable. I think that his vaccination status may have rendered him untradable because yeah, you're this year you're thinking, you know, the States maybe for just as a rental, you could have got something for him just yep. for the rest of the season. Maybe, yep. maybe you're right. 
But if you're if you're thinking about the player yeah, long term, the, the vaccination rate, the vaccination rules may not change for cross border status. I suspect they won't, in terms of being vaccinated. That's that's going to be pretty. That's going to have a lot of traction uh, for sticking around. A lot of countries insist on vaccination before you enter them. I could see it for COVID being the case going forward. So, but you're right. Maybe just as a rental, they could have got something for him this year. Um, that might have happened. But if if they're thinking of Josh Archibald and years to cut, like next year, the year after. But you're fair enough. They were probably just a team could have got him as a rental. He would be a useful rental player for an American team. As good as Andrew yeah. Cogliano, I think at this point. Well, tonight he. Uh... He's not available to the Oilers, so they're going to have to alter their lineup. Uh, Brad Malone gets in at left wing because Josh Archibald is not able to travel with the team. And you wonder at what point you're just better off to move the guy for an asset, and that time was today, and obviously it didn't happen. So it's um, we'll see. I mean, maybe Archibald will find a way to help the team uh, down the stretch and in the playoffs, but he's going to have to do it on a part-time basis, unfortunately. Indeed. Bruce, thanks for talking. Thanks for listening, everybody. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.